in general, I would like or encourage people to do, much, to do as much of their speed training as possible with a driver and ball. Today, we are joined by Mike Carroll. Mike started off as a trainer in Ireland before coming over to the U.S. and developing a focus on golf-related fitness. You can have access to Mike's workout programs through the Fit for Golf app, which you can learn more about at fitforgolf.blog. Mike has provided a tremendous amount of information to the golf world, so we hope that you'll enjoy what he talks about with us here today. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Mike. Tell us a little bit about your background and just how you got into the game of golf in general. And then beyond that, as far as helping people with their fitness related golf, how'd you get into that? So I got into golf through pitch and putt. Uh, there was a course near my house where I grew up that was just about within walking distance when I was kind of like 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, I was able to walk there on the weekends and on the summer holidays between school. You spend a lot of time there. Um, and then one of my friend's dads played golf and he brought us to play. I think we were probably about 11 or 12 at this point and really enjoyed kind of, you know, the bigger space on the golf course and how the holes are much more varied, you know, and you're hitting different shots as opposed to just kind of trying to flip a, a sand wedge onto the green from, you know, 50 or 60 yards on every hole. Um, and pretty soon after that, I got a half set of golf clubs for a birthday and a course membership to the local Muni. And, you know, like a lot of kids who get interested in it, you have so much spare time that you spend a lot of weekend time and summertime uh, down there playing, which was great, you know, made loads of good friends. And yeah, you just love being down there. Uh, I was involved in a lot of other sports as well. Um, I grew up in Ireland. So I played soccer, did some track and field, and I played the two Irish sports as well, Gaelic football and hurling. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those. Um, I actually still play those here in, in Southern California. Uh, I played golf like semi-seriously from sort of like age 14 to 17. I never got that good. The lowest handicap I got to in that uh, time frame was a five. Um, I started at 20 and went 20 to 15, 15 to 10, 10 to 5 over the course of three summers. The season in Ireland is quite short. And when I was 17, I actually quit playing golf for about five years. Um, just put way too much pressure on myself to try and get better really quickly. You know, I kind of had like, I guess, semi dreams in my head of college scholarships and stuff like that. Um, but just put way too much pressure on myself to get good quickly. You know, I'm fairly sure I could have been a pretty good player by the time I was, you know, maybe in my early twenties, if I kept going on the progression I was going on, but I was mad that I wasn't, you know, five shots better next week kind of thing. If, if you get me and just didn't have the maturity to, to sort of realize that that was the, the path you kind of have to go on. And you never know, you know, when you might have a purple patch and start seeing improvement quickly. So, yeah, that was a, a kind of tough summer. It was the first one where I didn't improve a lot. 
and yeah, out of frustration, literally didn't didn't play like a proper round for five years. Uh, it kind of coincided too, though, like when you're 17, turning 18 in Ireland, that's the age you're allowed to go, go out to bars. Like the drinking age in Ireland is 18 rather than 21 here. So you're starting to get much more interested in socializing and all the stuff that comes with it. I was also, you know, only had one year left in what we call secondary school. You guys call high school. Uh, so I was going to college. I played uh, like Gaelic football with my club and my college. Was really interested in that. And that's the same time I got into strength and conditioning coaching. I did exercise science in university and basically the exact same time, or sorry, after my, so I did a four-year university course after the first year, I started working part-time in a gym, uh, training general population clients, training athletes from different sports, which I was really interested in because I played so many different sports growing up and was kind of interested in working out on my own to try and improve my performance in those sports. And that was something actually I did see in golf. That's probably where that started when I was about 16 or so and started going to the gym and I was playing golf really quickly. I could see like an improvement in my golf game from working out, you know, hitting it further basically. And then when I finished um, university, I started working full time as a trainer based in that same gym. And at the time, so this was in 2014, I was working with still uh, general population clients, some teams, uh, primarily the Gaelic sports in Ireland, and a few golfers locally, just that I was friends with from when I played, basically. Um, And over time, gradually started getting more interested in trying to do some work with golfers. I kind of saw that... There was nobody that I could see was really, you know, providing any good information about physical training for golfers or even talking about it that much. Um, I kind of knew that it could be really beneficial. I also am like fairly kind of like analytical in nature and stuff like that. So I started playing golf again uh, around the same time. And what was actually funny, like, is I hadn't hit a golf ball in like seriously in years and I can remember going to the range one day with my buddies and in college I probably gained about like 25 or 30 pounds had gotten way stronger and I can remember my first driver swing it was it was about the time too that like launch monitors were getting popular so one of my buddies was working on a driving range and he had a flight scope and he said you should come down and use it and I can remember my first swing on the flight scope was 124 miles an hour with the driver and I hadn't been playing golf or practicing golf at all. I'd just gotten way bigger and way stronger. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, I didn't know that there'd be that big a difference. Now, obviously, you're probably going to be faster at 23 than you are at kind of 17 anyway from getting stronger. Um, but I was like, whoa, like that's that's crazy, you know. Um, so, yeah, there was a couple of things like that always had me thinking there is something here to training in golf. When I went back playing golf... I read Mark Brody's book, Every Shot Counts, so got really interested in strokes gained. He had a lot of stuff on kind of quantifying the value of distance gains uh, for golfers. And I felt like I could do a pretty good job of helping people do that. Um, Got really interested in it. And then I did the TPI 
level one certification. I don't know if you guys are familiar with TPI. So that's a really good uh, certification for trainers who are interested in golf to do. Not only is the information uh, like very useful when you're getting started, but it's also something that a lot of prospective employers will kind of look for. And then after I did that, I set up the kind of business name Fit for Golf uh, still in Ireland and started offering way more training for golfers, some small groups, some individuals. What was really nice is that I knew a couple of teaching pros in the area from when I was playing. And when they learned what I was doing, they started sending golfers out, which was great. So business kind of picked up reasonably quickly. And then I saw a job offer um, for a place called Hanson Fitness for Golf, which is in Irvine, California. Uh, I saw it online on Twitter and I applied to that company. They uh, accepted, they basically accepted me for the job, were able to sponsor a visa. And I came out, started working for them uh, as an employee, training golfers um, part-time in person in their studio still had the fit for golf kind of business name up and running and had the social media pages and stuff like that from when I was in Ireland. And when I got to California, I kind of quickly realized that the cost of living was super high and my wages were, were not going to cut it. So that's when I learned about, uh, kind of the possibilities of some online sales in terms of programs and stuff like that. And that's when the fit for golf app started. And for four years I did, kind of half fit for golf app, half working for Hanson Fitness for Golf in person. And then about two years ago, I was approved for a permanent resident card, like green card. And what that meant is that I was allowed to go out on my own, essentially as like a business owner here. So I set up fit for golf as a business and went full time with that about two years ago. Um, so now or for the last two years and now my full time work has been basically trying to grow subscriptions on the fit for golf app and then i've had probably about uh 10 or so tour players uh that i've worked a little bit more closely with uh, some of them have come on and off i have four guys uh, five guys at the moment and work a little bit more closely with some of them see them in person occasionally and that's kind of where where i am now so i'm, I'm still living in in Orange County, Southern California. That is cool. There's there's so many directions to go with that, but I think I want to drop back a little bit to your time in college. You said you played Gaelic football, and I've seen you tweet videos of it. And I always tell my wife, "Man, that looks that looks like so much fun. I wish I had played that sport." One, would you kind of tell us a little bit about what goes into that? And two, you said you put on a little bit of weight, and then you ended up, you know, picking up a club a few years later and. Uh, we're swinging driver at 125. Do you think that any of the work as far as like with Gaelic football, you know, a lot of times you do sports that have um, an explosive nature to them and Gaelic football looks like it has some of that to it. Do you think that um, carried carried over at all? Yeah, definitely. Um, so one one element would have been the gym training for sure, like just getting more into lifting. And at that age too, like when you're, you know, kind of like, I suppose towards the tail end of puberty, you can get a lot stronger and gain lots of muscle mass very quickly. I was also quite light going to college. Like I went from, I think about like 160 to 183 or four was about kind of my weight change. So it's not like I was 
absolutely huge or anything, but like had gotten a lot stronger, gained a lot of muscle mass. So that that was definitely a huge element. Uh, there's two Gaelic sports. One is Gaelic football and the other is called hurling. And what's really interesting about hurling is that it's almost the perfect sport as like a way to develop your swing speed, hand-eye coordination. Um, you play, so it's, 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 the gameplay is kind of similar to lacrosse. You have essentially a, a stick in your hand that's about the same length as a baseball bat. The, where you the handle is pretty narrow, kind of like a like a golf club or like a baseball bat, basically, and then it gradually gets wider up towards the top, and the the head of it essentially is like a flat paddle. And what's cool about it is, in a, in a game of hurling or when you're training for hurling, like you're doing loads of max effort swinging, where you throw the ball up out of your hands or with one hand, it's, the ball is like a baseball, so you throw the ball up. And then you're hitting it as hard as you can with both hands on the handle. You do it on right and left sides, like the the, hur- the hurley is both sided. And depending on kind of how the gameplay is going, it's sort of like, say, soccer or something where, you know, you might be forced to play off like one side. You don't, you don't have the choice, essentially, because you're going to be blocked. Um, and you also do the same thing with the ball on the ground. So it's really similar to like a golf swing. So you just get like, thousands and thousands of reps growing up of hitting balls as hard as you can in a rotational fashion with a stick and you often see really really good transfer from like people who are good at hurling if they go and play golf they pick it up pretty quickly kind of like you'd see with like hockey and baseball and stuff here so yeah that was that was definite but like i'd actually stopped playing that seriously in my mid-teens so i had the kind of base from it for sure but it was really uh like the kind of transformation in the gym that saw like the big boost in in club head speed. I know you said you played the Gaelic sports mainly, but you played golf um, to the point where you got to about a five handicap. Did you ever play any competitions or have any coaching or how far did you get with that? Yeah, I so I actually I, I played in, in lot, lots of both. Like obviously at that skill level you're not playing in you know elite national or local tournaments but like there's just so many you know junior opens in in every golf course you know in your vicinity so like would spend summers playing you know loads of them every week played in uh, a lot of uh, say like team events for my golf club where you know they might pick like the best five juniors and you go and play in these tournaments and got onto a couple of the adult teams doing that. So played loads of tournaments. And in Ireland too, it's a bit different to hear that like when you're a member of a golf club, every weekend there'd be like a club tournament uh, where you just, you know, pay five bucks. There's a gross and a net prize. Um, So loads of competition experience, but never at a very high level. You know what I mean? Never like at a state or regional or or national level. Uh, Never, never got to that standard. Um, I started playing golf a bit more seriously about two years ago here and have played in like a couple of USGA qualifiers. Like my handicap's lower now. I'm a plus 1.7 at the moment. Um, but yeah, like minimal, just a few, a few each year, kind of like, uh, state, state qualifiers and maybe USGA qualifiers, but definitely can kind of see like the, 
those the people qualifying for them are at a slightly different standard too like they're kind of you know either have a lot of experience doing it or they're you know they played in college or in college so they're just very very conditioned to to tournament golf you know which i am i am not basically going off of that i'd like to talk some more about kind of when you got back into it i read an article i believe it was on golf.com about how you went from a five to a plus one so first of all was that during uh the pandemic when you had a lot of time to work on your game and how did you get so much better so quickly because i believe you got you made that improvement in just around a year, right? Yeah. Um, so it did coincide with the pandemic and it also coincided with um, like me transitioning from working for a gym to working for myself. Um, so I, I, I essentially had not unlimited time, but like lots of time to put into it. Like I, I don't have any kids. I was working off my own schedule. So I could put like between say practicing and working out i could easily put three or four hours of a morning into kind of you know practice slash developing and i could play two or three times a week um yeah and to be honest i had a lot of low-hanging fruit um i was just i was very erratic with my driver so kind of with some practice and good coaching getting driver and play made a massive difference that was probably like two-thirds of the improvement to be honest um and then I improved a lot with sort of approach wedges and short game. When I came back to golf after college, um, I actually had a really tough time with like the short game yips, um, like really, really struggled with chip shots, pitch shots and any sort of approach wedges. So when I left Ireland, my handicap was actually a nine, even though I was a reasonably decent ball striker, but just couldn't like get the ball on the green from like essentially anywhere inside 100 yards you know you could make double from the middle of the fairway easy from 100 yards by duffing one in front of me blading one over the green you know messing around trying to get up and down um but that kind of got through that and that started to improve and all of a sudden then i was hitting driver in play and got pretty good with wedges and there was just you know that that makes a lot of sort of par fours you know reasonable reasonably uh I suppose not easy to get through, but it means that you hit a lot of greens in regulation and you might make a couple of birdies and, you know, might hit it on a par five or so in two and started shooting a lot of rounds close to par and then some rounds under par. I got to, I got from five to, I think, 0.5 in about five or six months. And then it took about another year to get from 0.5 or about another four or five months to get from 0.5 to zero. And then maybe about another four or five months to get from zero to plus one. And I was probably plus one a year and three months ago. And now I'm a plus 1.7. So obviously the, the margins of getting better obviously slow down as you improve because it just gets much tougher, you know. But I've I've put in like basically for the last for the last two and a half years, I've either practice or played I, I generally play twice a week when i'm consistent i've aver- i've hit like 60 70 or 80 rounds kind of the last three years or i'll hit i'll hit about 60 this year and i was about 70 the last two years um but essentially like i i put in an hour to 90 minutes 
of practice every day I don't play and play once or twice a week. And then I have sort of, you know, a good training routine on top of that because I'm probably more interested in physical training than golf development. Uh, and got really interested too in something that was very helpful for me was stat tracking with uh, Mark Brody's app, Golf Metrics. So I got really interested in, okay, this is where I am in sort of off the tee, different approach distances, different around the green distances, different putting distances. And you start to see trends over kind of five and 10 rounds and it allows you guide your practice and then sort of see how you're going with those. And if you can see an improvement in score, just really enjoy that. And it's also nice too living here in that golf is 12 months a year. So you can, you can do a lot in a year as opposed to if you're in some places where it's kind of six months, you know, but um, yeah, may, maybe next year I'll try and do more uh, like competitive golf because basically all my golf has been like recreationally, you know, we play like proper rounds, but like, it's, it's all very comfortable. Like it's, it's with my buddies on my local course. Um, so there's definitely like a comfort and familiarity factor there that makes it, you know, a little bit easier, I suppose. It's very different when you make a mistake and all of a sudden you realize uh, you got to walk back to retee and there's a group standing behind you and there's rules officials yeah. places. I I know what you, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, it's cool to see kind of your growth in golf as far as from your get your game and as far as training people. How has your growth and just like progression affected how your training has been? Like what you tell your clients, how you work with your clients as far as knowing that you're on the physical side and specifically with the training being being a golfer yourself though it kind of gives you special insight i think compared to a lot of other trainers who might not have that day in day out um focus it's been really helpful um like i i don't know how you could get as interested in physical training for golf as i am if you don't play golf, like, and I, I don't, I don't know how you could get so interested in like learning more about the swing. Um, if you're not going and experimenting on it yourself, you know what I mean? Like there's, I think there's a lot there in terms of like, there's absolutely very good people training golfers who don't play golf, but I think it's been hugely beneficial in, I think the understanding that I've been able to develop with say some of like the professional players that I work with. And I think, you know, that they probably have maybe some like assurances that I understand what they're talking about when they tell me. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's just something like, I think that there's, there's obviously a huge amount to be said for like education and experience in training, but I, I do think the blend of also kind of practicing what you preach and trying your best to go through sort of the struggles that the people you're working with are going through to some extent, obviously not the same extent is helpful. Um, even, even things like, you know, balancing, okay. Like if I'm practicing every day and playing twice a week and I want to be sort of like at my best for those rounds, how am I scheduling my workouts? How am I tweaking them so that I'm not, you know, super tired or sore, uh, like what exercises do I think are having good transfer to speed and things like this? Um, that, that's been very beneficial, like for definite, uh, and something that I think has been really good, like for, I guess, business and credibility too, is like, 
it was amazing like how quickly my say kind of like social media following started growing when I started posting more about my own golf game it was you know kind of clear that okay like Mike's actually working on this stuff himself it's not just ideas he's come up with you know like sitting at home kind of on his computer or with his notebook out like he's clearly trial and erroring stuff here on himself too you know um and I think it's the same like from the physical training like I train really hard myself and I think one of the kind of I guess like pluses I had with the app is that like I consider myself you know really proficient at all the exercises I've been demonstrating so like if you're it's like if I, I suppose it's the same as like if if your golf instructor like is is clearly like really competent at the shots he's describing to you I think it's I think there's an automatic buy-in I know they don't have to be a great golfer and there's loads of there's loads of instructors who aren't great golfers but compared to the masses most of them are, are really really good you know what I mean so like if you're if you're trying to learn from someone and they're like yeah like I know you're struggling with it try this instead if they're clearly able to show you and they're clearly competent in it I think it helps a lot and probably what's it I think improved sort of my my coaching in the last couple of years more than anything and this was when I is sort of a I guess something I had to improve on when tour players started getting in touch was way more of my study in the last couple of years has been on like golf biomechanics swing mechanics rather than say physiology and anatomy like not really much in terms of like what other trainers would be looking up if they're not involved in golf but way more like like what's actually going on in the swing like why like why can this guy swing at 122 when this guy can only swing at 114 like what's going on and sort of like how how can we train to like summer training is definitely enhancing like raw physical capabilities but also like what's actually going on in the swing like where where can we really make improvements in terms of like how was speed created and then like how can we train for that basically you know and like that's what i've spent a lot of time doing myself in my own practice too and like one of the things that's dawned on me like massively in the last couple of years is like how important like the intricacies of swing technique are for swing speed as opposed to just getting stronger especially when you've been training for a long time and sort of there's no more easy gains in in strength and power you know absolutely it's a uh, one of those things i like I like what you've done, especially with as far as the app and also your focus on giving people the tools to be able to um, understand fitness. And especially like you brought on Max Schmarzo, I know, onto your podcast, and he's an interesting guy. And I've heard him uh, with Paul Favorites. I don't know if you're familiar with Paul Favorites. Um, he's an NBA trainer and he has a very similar thing to you in that he has this app. and has these exercises. And actually when I was in law school, I went through that program. It, it, he has a couple of different ones, but one of them specifically focuses on dunking. And I'm 6'3", uh, 200 to 210, depending on whether I'm uh, putting on weight or not. And I was in college, I was, you know, I was able to squat 400 pounds. I was able to do a lot of things that like most people couldn't do, but I could never dunk. Uh, and I mm -hmm. never understood it. Um, I could run pretty fast. And so I was like, okay, like in law school, I decided I'm figuring out how to dunk. Like 
I'm 24. I'm about as I'm ba- I'm about as good a shape as I'm ever going to get in. I need to figure this out. And so, uh, similar, I see very similar stories in what you guys provide. Cause I went through the program and I learned a, I got stronger and faster working on getting those, uh, fast twitch muscles, uh, working and focusing on those supposed to just, you know, putting heavy load on and then pushing through heavy load. It's, you know, getting maximum effort. And then on top of that, uh, mechanics, um, even just like small mechanical changes, uh, to use the ground better, use the force better. It got me to where I was able to dunk consistently. And now twice a week I go out and do those types of workouts, all that to say, uh, and I'm, and I'm 27 now, so I'm past my peak, or uh, potential, um, what's the right way to phrase it? I'm past my biological prime per se. And slowly on that, uh, yeah. hill downwards where I need to try to, uh, keep what I have as opposed to, um, yeah, without without training, you're you're gone past your peak. But maybe with training, there's more to come. Ho- hopefully. Uh, so all that to say, I really like what you've put together on that front. Can you? And as far as the philosophies that you have, et cetera, can you dive into? I know it's a lot to ask someone to unpack their philosophy, but as far as maybe we can talk about first, just like common things that people don't understand about training when it comes to golf, et cetera. You're, your most common misconceptions that people have. And then second, specifically what you've learned since you started training, um, and focusing on, you know, that speed, what surprising things you've learned that people might find useful and might see corollaries in their own life. Yeah. I think probably the most important thing to consider first is like, what am I actually trying to do with golfers with their physical training? And I'm not using physical training to try and tweak a golfer's swing mechanics. Like that's, that's not, that's not my job. What are in my opinion. So what I'm trying to do with golfers is really two things. I'm trying to help them increase their club head speed. And I'm trying to ensure that they don't have any injury concerns. Um, when we look at those two things, what's nice is that the training for both of those things is actually really similar. Uh, you, you don't really need to do a whole lot differently. When we dig into the trying to increase club head speed, like over time, there's there's basically been been three things that I've sort of like kept going back to that are very important for for being able to increase club head speed. So we definitely want people to be mobile enough or flexible enough to create the range of motion they want in their golf swing. But what's interesting about this is that like once you have enough, more won't have any noticeable effect on your golf swing because getting more flexible isn't going to do anything for your swing speed unless it results in a longer hand path in the backswing or the potential to maybe sequence better in the downswing. So if those things don't change from your mobility training, there won't be any impact on swing speed. So what I'm getting at with this is that that can improving mobility can make a massive difference for people who are immobile and really struggle with mobility, but it's probably not going to do anything at all for somebody who already has really good mobility. Like for example, if you take a big bunch of 60-year-old males who work in desk jobs, I'm pretty sure that most of them would benefit a lot in terms of swing speed from increasing mobility. 
But if you take a really big bunch of female college golfers who are often really flexible, I think that there'll be a 0% increase in their club head speed from focusing on flexibility because they have plenty. They might even have too much and they, and they don't have the strength to control it. So mobility be number one. Um, and the, the big thing with mobility, and I learned this mostly from Sasha McKenzie, really smart go- golf biomechanist, increasing the length of the hand path in the backswing. So basically like how far our hands travel let's say around the clock phase in the backswing is, is really beneficial for speed. There's going to be people watching are going to bring up John Ram and Tony Fino because they do every single time on social media when I talk about this. Yes, those guys are super fast with shorter hand paths, but they're both freaks of nature. So you, you probably need to get all the help you can get. I know I certainly do. Uh, the second one would be muscle strength, which most people don't really, I think, um, like value enough in golf circles. Um, what's interesting about golf is that like the, the club is very light and it moved that the head of it is moving very fast at impact, but in terms of the muscular contractions that are taking place, they're not super fast relative to something like sprinting or relative to something like, like rebounding, or say, let's say like someone who's doing like uh, another track sport where they're doing like the triple jump or the high jump where they have tiny, tiny amounts of time to reduce force. In the golf swing, we actually have a decent enough amount of time for muscle strength to come into play. So when muscle strength has enough time to come into play in the sporting action, which it does in the golf swing, especially with the lower body and the trunk, having bigger muscles is very, very, very beneficial. Because once we've been training for a while, really the only way we get stronger is by increasing in muscle size. You can get a lot stronger at first and maybe into your kind of intermediate stages without much of an increase in muscle size from improvements in coordination and improvements in recruiting muscle fibers that you already have. But once they tap out, we definitely want to be thinking about getting a little bit bigger muscles if we can. And it's really, really, really hard to gain muscle mass. So people shouldn't be concerned about getting too big. That's that's not going to happen. Um, and if the training plan is intelligent, they also won't lose flexibility or mobility from getting bigger muscles. Um, and then the third one is, is literally tra- training specifically for speed by doing swings where you're trying to go as fast as you can with speed feedback that can't really be separated from swing technique because usually when someone's intent to swing faster increases, there is some adjustments to their swing technique. So the improvements we make in swing speed from speed training, whether it's swinging your own driver as fast as you can hitting balls or using like the stack or super speed or something like that, there's definitely a, like there is for sure a unique set of adaptations that are happening in muscle and in tendon and in the nervous system that we don't get from heavy strength training but that's why we want both of them like we we don't get any bigger from speed training muscles won't increase in size muscles will increase in size from strength training and bigger muscles can produce more force but we want to learn how to use that force extremely quickly and that's where speed training can help we want and what's kind of a a catch-22 is that as our swing speed increases, we generally have less and less time to use our strength. So we need to be 
at the same time increasing how quickly we can produce force. Golf's kind of like a perfect way of describing the golf swing in terms of speed is that it, like it's a power activity and power would lie like sort of in the middle between strength and speed. You could think of strength as grinding out your your uh, 400 pound one rep max squat and we could think of speed as when you are going I would say like a maximum effort like sprint where you're at 100% full speed like you have such little time with your foot on the ground to apply force that it really comes down to things other than maximal strength the golf swing is kind of somewhere in the middle it's like yeah there's enough time where we can uh, apply a lot of our strength but there's not so much time where we can just grind and grind it out like you can with a big bench press or a big squat so with the speed training there is unique adaptations in the muscle the tendon and the nervous system that we don't get from heavy strength training but we definitely want the heavy strength training too but then what also happens with speed training and this this happens even if you're not trying for it to happen there will be some subtle changes to your technique because your your intent has changed in what you're trying to do with your swing um and they're they're honestly the big three if someone is mobile enough to create the range of motion they need then really what we're looking at is getting stronger and improving how much force they can apply really quickly in the swing motion um for people who already have enough mobility i don't really get them to do a whole pile of like isolated mobility work because it tends to be taken care of in like warm-ups before either practice or play or the gym which for kind of serious golfers is basically going to be every day and and it gets actually developed really well from your swing speed training because you're going through the ranges of motion that you're trying to use at maximum speed and so what it boils down to kind of is that for for people who really do need to improve mobility there'd be a little bit more focus on mobility but then definitely strength and speed training and for people who already have very good mobility we'll definitely stay on top of mobility so that it doesn't get worse uh, and you need to do something to warm up anyway but then really it's coming down to trying to get stronger and doing your speed training but that also can't be separated from like having mechanics that are favorable for speed like we'll see some people you know who are super strong and super explosive might have been you know like unbelievably powerful in hockey or baseball when they come over to golf yeah their swing speed might be decent but it's nowhere near their potential because their mechanics you know they they might gain 10 miles an hour in one lesson because a coach can show them look this is this is the way you need to move with the golf club in your hand and they're like oh okay because they they had a massive amount of room left in the tank Whereas then we often see like a really common one is I've done a lot of work or like helped a lot of, let's say, PGA professionals, like teaching pros who have, you know, like pretty good golf swings. They're obviously like really well coordinated and used to hitting balls, but they haven't really exhausted their physical training at all. So like they're not going to get a whole lot of speed from just working on their golf swing, but they might have like unless they want to start using like a long drive style, which they probably don't. But if you give them like a year or two years of solid physical training, that's how they might gain their 10 miles an hour. And, you know, go from like 108 to 118 or something like that would be like a kind of common one there, you know. Um, 
so that that's kind of where the balance on that stuff would be so just to follow up on a specific strength training for golf question what is your philosophy on using the core lifts in strength training and why do you think most golf trainers slash training programs stray away from the core lifts yeah so the reason why i like so by core lifts like for people who aren't aware would be things like squats hinges like pressing rowing all that sort of stuff the reason why they're in my opinion like very beneficial for golfers is that when we're strength training the adaptations that we want to have happen so the things that we want to change are, are inside the muscle fibers and when we're trying to change things inside the muscle fiber we need enough load we need enough stress on those muscle fibers and those exercises are really really good at applying stress to specific parts of the body where we run into problems when people try and use only exercises that mimic the golf swing in their strength training is that they're trying to strengthen movement patterns and what happens with those movement patterns they don't respond to load very well because very very quickly you get to a point where it's like i i can't move this if you're trying to use like a, a cable or you know some like resistance band type thing it's like there is some place for those for sure but very quickly those exercises get hard to progress on and you can't really apply much stress so I like to use exercises that can be progressed for long periods of time and can put the type of stress that's required on the major muscle groups that we're trying to strengthen so that those adaptations can take place. And then where that, where that development can be really, really uh, taken advantage of is because in the meantime, you're doing all your swing work on the range, practicing your golf swing and you're doing your speed training. And when you merge those two things together, that's where there's usually massive, massive improvements. So like a way that I would kind of explain this to people is like, if you think of when a, let's say a, a teenage boy or girl starts to get way, way longer, it's not because they've learned, it's, it's not because they've improved some movement pattern like very specifically it's because they've gained loads of muscle mass and strength through puberty and if we kind of transfer that to like well what will we do like when we're not in puberty when we're in when we're in adults it's that like you can definitely improve in speed from improving mechanics but do that with your golf swing training do that with your golf practice because what tends to happen is when people try and turn their like physical training into golf practice is they end up in a gray area where what they're doing isn't intense enough to cause any physical adaptations in the muscle or the tendon or the nervous system. And it's also probably not relevant enough to the golf swing to actually show up in mechanical changes when you're trying to hit a ball with a golf club. So I like to keep them separate for the most part. Now, there might be some exercises where you're rotating against load. Like I, I love doing stuff with like cable machines where you're, you know, trying to rotate against the pulley as hard as you can. But like I view that literally as like strengthening the obliques and like hip rotators and stuff like that. It's it's not trying to train the golf swing, you know. And another way of, of looking at that is 
when we consider what happens when people tend to lose speed with age, it's their physical capabilities are starting to, to diminish. Like they're, they're losing fast twitch muscle fibers, they're losing muscle strength, they're losing muscle size, they're losing mobility. They're not losing like a very specific movement pattern capability. It's their raw physical capabilities have declined. So by staying on top of them and then using your golf practice and your speed training for specificity, that's that's where I think you'll you'll make the most progress. You talked about putting those uh, tendons, ligaments, and muscles under stress. And for people who don't uh, who don't do solid workouts, they end up like essentially wasting their time in the gym because they're not putting their body under enough load for adaptation. Um, though they might have, there might be other outside benefits like uh, cardiovascular health or the fact that they're doing something. But yeah, and and anyone who's coming from like doing nothing will see improvements from basically anything. But mm-hmm. it's it's once people get like a little bit more advanced and it's like, okay, there's no more change coming now. That's when a good program becomes important. If you're just getting off the couch, literally anything will will see improvements. Perfect. And so like in that in that line, uh, I had two questions around injuries. One, a lot of people. So you you addressed you know about the, there's that common mobility argument like oh like uh i don't want to work out too much because i'm gonna lose mobility and you you address that very well but too a lot of people say i don't want to work out because i don't want to get injured or especially like with kids people say i don't want my kids to do workouts because they're gonna get injured it's gonna stunt their growth like these are these are the types of things that you hear so i as far as like addressing that what what do you know um in that realm and I, i think that's one of those things i've heard you discuss isn't true so Tell us a little more about that, but also too, when it does come to injuries, what are the common injuries that you see golfers dealing with and what are the, you know, characteristics of them that maybe are fixable without, um, going into too much detail? Yeah. So like with physical training or getting stronger, helping with injuries, the most common injuries in golf are what are referred to as overuse injuries. And basically they pop up from an area of the body being stressed more than its current ability to tolerate that stress and very simply if we can make our muscles and connective tissue stronger and better conditioned it's going to be able to deal with the stress of our practice and play regimen better which means that we shouldn't end up with the same aches and pains basically we shouldn't have the breakdown of either the the muscle or connective tissue because it's now better able to deal with that task in terms of your actual training causing injury, like literally any activity can cause injury. And usually the reasons why are the same across essentially all domains. Weightlifting or strength training is no different. Injuries tend to pop up when people do too much relative to what they're currently able for. And this can happen if you start on a walking program that's too aggressively. You'll probably start getting you know pains in your heels or something like that. That's no different to someone who starts bench pressing too aggressively and gets a pain in their shoulder or strains a pec so with any physical activity that we're embarking on we want to make sure we start at a very conservative level and then increase very slowly and incrementally and what that does is gives our chance about gives our body a chance to adapt to the stress we're putting on it once that adaption has taken place now we're stronger we can add a little bit more so it's like climbing a set of stairs basically you want to go one step at a time 
yes, it might take a, a long time, but it's very gradual improvement. There's never any real big issue. Whereas what a lot of people want to try and do is jump from the bottom of the stairs to the top, which usually doesn't work out too well. And then they fall back down to the start and they have to start all over again. But now they have a sore knee and a sore shoulder. Um, so yeah, just, just, just starting conservatively enough and being patient enough with your buildup is important. And that's, that's even the same for golf practice. Like so many people end up with sore elbows or shoulders or backs from practicing golf and they immediately think there's something wrong with their technique or their mechanics. And it's like, but you haven't been practicing for months or weeks consistently. And now you've hit 80 balls, three days in a row. Like you've basically just stressed an area way more than it's used to being stressed. Of course, it's a little bit aggravated, but if you'd started, you know, maybe with like 30 balls and then every other day or something like that, you'd probably be fine with the exact same mechanics. In terms of kids, that's an interesting one. Like definitely they're like the stunting growth thing is, is just a myth that that doesn't happen. Um, but and like it is, there is definitely benefits to kids getting stronger, but I would put like, you know, traditional strength training, like the exercises we were talking about a minute ago in terms of like the kind of compound lifts, I'd put those like pretty far down on the list in terms of like priority for kids, especially if the kids are like reasonably young, say pre-puberty. Um, what I would much rather them spend their time doing is more like um, speed and coordination dominant activities, which like can be like covered really well just from a child playing multiple sports. Um, but if the child isn't playing multiple sports, like I'd love them to be doing stuff that's developing their ability to sprint, their ability to jump high, to kick hard, to throw hard, maybe even like to tackle or wrestle a little bit. Um, even things like, you know, like climbing and that sort of stuff. Um, but like we want when kids are young, definitely, and they're sort of their, their brain and their bodies are so malleable. Like I want them to, and if, you know, we're thinking of their long-term progression, they're going to get way more benefit from learning how to absolutely smash baseballs, hockey pucks, kick a soccer ball super hard, throw a football really far, throw a baseball really hard, you know, all those types of athletic, like practice sprinting, you know, like changing direction, running away with people. Like they're going to be getting like way more explosive, way faster, and stronger in in types of movements and activities that's really hard to replicate in the gym and obviously included in that they can be trying to hit golf balls as hard as they can but that type of stuff getting that in young is really really important uh, because uh, first of all i don't think we can make up for it later and even if we could nobody has the time to do it like nobody's spending all day playing when they're 17 you know what I mean? Whereas when they're eight, they are 10, they probably will be, you know? Um, and then the other thing is like, if you take a kid that has been doing all these different athletic activities, and it doesn't even have to be in organized sports in teams, like this can be done with like siblings and parents or, you know, messing around out in the neighborhood, you know, which is sometimes even better than, than organized sports. Cause you get so many more reps in, you know, um, if you have a, a kid that's been doing that, it's exceptionally easy for them to get strong when they do start training. Like when they hit maybe, 
like age is a little bit irrelevant because they're all different, but let's just say when they're 14 or 16 or even 18, if they start doing some strength training, then they get strong really fast because their coordination is really good. They've learned how to use their muscles. It's basically just a matter of teaching them technique on the exercises that you want to use and then slowly drip feeding them more load as, as they show competency and an ability to do it really. Um, but yeah, de- definitely with kids, I'd be more on like the let's develop really good, I guess, athleticism is a catch-all word in lots of different dynamic activities. Don't worry about getting stronger right now. Like sure, if you want to practice some squats and lunges and get a pull-up bar and do some push-ups, like that's fine. But like, I'd much prefer them to be like trying to like smash baseballs and, you know, throw footballs as far as they can and maybe wrestle siblings and stuff like that, you know? When you have kids, what sports are they going to play? Assuming you're going to have that's, you want kids. Yeah, that's that that that's a good question, especially because they're not growing up in Ireland where I grew up. Um, like, so, yeah, it's a good one. I think, like, from a, like, obviously, I'm not going to force you. I'm not, I'm not telling them you have to go here because this is going to be good for your athleticism. But, like, for, for things that have a lot of kind of, like, big benefits, uh, I think if you can have some like track and field coaching, like if if you can get kids like pretty good at things like sprinting and bounding and jumping, like that's going to have unbelievable transfer to a lot of sports. Um, they can learn some throwing things there, but it's probably more likely they'll develop throwing from things like baseball or football, um, which you also get. Uh, you also get hitting like swinging and and hitting a a, like a let's say a bat and ball type sport like baseball or tennis or hockey so something like that and then like definitely some some form of like I think team sport like basketball and soccer and things like that are really really beneficial but from like pure like I think from a pure athletic standpoint like track and field and gymnastics are, are amazing that way but then you want to have some stuff that involves a little bit more hand-eye coordination with with balls and objects, um, and that's where team sports are great. Like there's there's so many different ones you can go into, but yeah, I would say like uh, athletics and gymnastics would be like really good, especially when they're very young, and then uh, something like baseball or hockey where they're like sprinting and hitting something as hard as they can would be great something like soccer where they're kicking something as hard as they can will be great. Um, yeah, I think, I think that'd be pretty much it. I may be forgetting now, but honestly, as, as much variety as possible is, is probably the, the best at that age. I, I think what would be important too, is like trying to have as much like free play as possible, even outside of sports. Like I think it would be really good if, you know, if you can, if you're, if kids can be, like interested in doing that stuff like in their own time you know if they have like friends in the neighborhood or parents have time to play with them just because you can build up like so many reps of different things in like 30 minutes or an hour of like play because you know like i'm sure i haven't obviously experienced it yet but i'm sure like sometimes like practices are almost like too structured and and stuff like that so but yeah that's that's kind of a bit of a tangent but yeah, hopefully a lot of different sports that develop a lot of, of different things. I think some more on the like raw physicality side of things like gymnastics and track, but then ones that are also really good for like more 
intricate hand-eye coordination, learning how to hit things with high speed would be great. And then I think like a team sport is really important just for like general development. Do you think that there is a benefit to doing all of your speed training with an actual golf club and ball? Or do you think that just using like speed sticks or stack system is just as good or better? That's a really good question. And something that I have learned a lot about in the last couple of years, mainly due to getting to work with PGA Tour players. And the way I would look at it is that, so in general, I would like or encourage people to do do as much of their speed training as possible with a driver and ball. The reason being is that on every swing, we're also we're also getting the benefit of coordinating, basically delivering the face to the ball, like strike, launch, etc. cetera. Uh, I think that is massive character. Because what we're really trying to do with speed training is improve our stroke end off the tee, improve how well we can drive the golf ball. I think that most people have huge, huge room to improve available just by using a driver and ball. If someone gets to a point where they've hit a big plateau, I think adding some like overload and and underload like the stack and like super speed can be really, really beneficial for bursting through plateaus. I think that those tools versus just driver would probably lead to slightly more of a club head speed increase. But by using driver, I think there'd be a way better improvement in overall driving. Where it gets tricky for people, and I completely understand this, is that it's definitely there's definitely more of a hurdle to hitting balls. Like it's pretty easy to swing a stack or the speed sticks in the backyard or in a garage or something like that, you know. Whereas hitting a driver and balls can be, you know, you might like going to the range, you know, might obviously take way more time or you know, you might be making too much noise if you're trying to do a late night or early morning driver session. But what's been interesting is when I started working with the pros, I this was before the stack came out. So I used to have them doing a decent amount of speed stick work and not that much driver work. And over time, I've basically switched all of their speed training to driver and ball um, because it just makes such a difference for actually being able to transfer it to the course. They've they've all been able to gain speed. Like we, st- we still get the adaptations of swinging as fast as possible when it's a driver in our hands. And we get the added benefit, like I was saying, of getting more comfortable with actually hitting the ball when you're swinging at that speed. There's a, there's a psychological element to it and a coordination element to it. I do think there is additional speed benefits to using the speed training tools, like for sure. Uh, because with some people, you see that when the driver and ball is there, it's not speed training because they're so worried about making good contact that that might be a bit more relevant maybe for like slightly higher handicap players because even if you say take the ball away their swing goes up seven or ten miles an hour so then it's kind of a balance it's like okay if you have someone who so a good a good way to look at this would be if you have someone who has way more speed than they produce when there's a ball there i think they probably need to spend more time getting comfortable with the driver and ball 
because that's that should be easy gains for him. It's like you already have this speed. Let's just get more comfortable doing it with the driver and ball. But if you have someone who's been using the driver and ball for a while and it's like, man, I've been doing these sessions three times a week for three months and my speed is just not budging. Well, then I'd be thinking, all right, this person's probably come close to kind of milking what they're getting from this stimulus. Let's see what happens if we now change the emphasis a little bit more to swinging some of the heavier and lighter tools, which are going to be different weights, moving at different speeds, you know, slightly different stimulus for adaptation. I think that can be really beneficial there. So yeah, it's it's kind of it's getting a balance that way. So I think in the long term, you want to be doing both, but I think most amateurs don't come anywhere near doing driver and ball enough. Like loads from what I can see, lots of the long drive guys don't really use speed tools. Like they they do nearly all of their work with driver and ball. I don't think Bryson used speed tools a whole lot when he gained all his speed. It seemed to be pretty much all driver and ball. But I also have emails from literally probably thousands of amateur golfers who have gained tons of speed in short periods of time using the speed tools. Um, But where I think there might be a disconnect there is how can we get the best balance of speed increase and improving on the golf course? And I think that's where some people struggle with the balance there and usually adding more balls is important i think i get that that's something i know i need in my own game but i've i'm one of those people that's seen very significant progress from um the stack system it's something that uh once i got it i was super impressed with what sasha had built there and everything that came along with it and i'm i'm already a relatively highly trained um player not that I'm super skilled, but like highly trained as far as weight room, et cetera. So I didn't expect to see any major jumps and, um, I'm, I still have not done enough of that driver and ball training. So that speed hasn't gone out to the course, but I think I started a few months ago at 120 estimated speed and now it's at 130 estimated speed. So yeah, that's really good. One of the things that's probably important to note about the value of the speed tools, I think is that, even when we tell ourselves we're trying to swing as hard as we can with the driver and ball there, it's probably not the same as when we remove the ball and just use a speed tool, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. There there probably is like another gear there when we use the speed tools that is beneficial to tap into. But most players have like so much room to improve, they'll improve for a long time with just using the driver and ball. I believe it. Um, we only have a few more questions. I know you got to stop soon. So uh, obviously we're called the tournament code and we talk a lot about tournaments and you provide a lot of insight as far as uh, physical preparation, et cetera, handling things off the course. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and turn to your players that you work with on the tour. Those guys are going through the ringer more than anyone else. Uh, Cooper's been obviously caddied on corn Ferry, knows what that's like just as a caddy. And as a player, our friends are out there and it's a hard life to go through traveling week to week, pretty much on any tour. And some, you could say, especially like Canadian and Latin America, it's even harder because it's less us based and you have a lot less control over your environment. So when it comes to working with your players, what have you noticed as far as a tournament preparation, B tournament performance, and B tournament recovery. What have you noticed from them, and what have you learned 
over time working with them? By far, the most important thing has been players keeping up their training in season and in tournament weeks, even if it might be a little bit awkward or they might be a little bit tired. Uh, Like if we take, you know, a PGA Tour player who is commonly, like it would be common that they play three weeks in a row. It's rare they play four weeks in a row, but often three, sometimes two. But if you have a player who is playing, let's just say for a few months in a row, they're playing three weeks on one week off throughout the tournament season. If that player isn't, and let's just say they've come off doing like a good off season of training, which for a tour player might be like six weeks because they don't get much time off. But if a player doesn't train in season, it makes it very, or sorry, if a player doesn't train during tournament weeks, it makes it very, very difficult to make any progress on off weeks. Because if you go three weeks without training, you'll have lost a lot of the conditioning you've built up. And if you try and train in your off week, like you'll get really sore, really stiff, and then you can't practice that well and you're going out the next week, you, have, you haven't gotten any stronger or made any progress. So what's been really, really nice to see with the players that I've been working with, and it's probably the thing they've noticed that's most different in the programs I give them compared to maybe when they were trying to make programs themselves or, or work with other trainers, is that I don't give them that much to do and it's it's not that taxing, but they get very used to what they're doing which means that they really know how they're going to react to it. So we keep the exercises pretty much the exact same all, all season long. And in tournament weeks, they try and get two or three strength training sessions in. The volume in the sessions would be really low. So they might only be doing like two or three challenging sets of each exercise. And they'd probably stop the sets like three or four reps before they'd reach failure and the reason that's important is that it is not so much weight on the bar that leads to soreness and takes a lot of time to recover from it tends to be really slow grinding reps where there's proximity to failure especially if the reps are high which most people actually think is the other way around um and what's nice about that is like as we talked about earlier, like golf is a power, power sport. And by trying to keep the weight like very challenging, so the intensity of the weight quite high, we can still get a good stimulus for strength and power. Uh, but by keeping the sets and the reps low, we don't really get much muscle damage or fatigue, which makes it really easy for the players to definitely maintain strength but maybe even get stronger depending on what their training background is. Um, If they're less advanced, they'll get stronger. If they're more advanced, it'll probably be a bit more maintenance, but it makes it really easy for them to like stay on top of it week in, week out. There's benefits to that from obviously their general strength and power levels and that they're staying up all the time. They also tend to feel much better in terms of they're not getting aches and pains from all the golf practice and play and travel. Their body's in a little bit better condition. And it means that when they have some time off, they're not starting from behind the eight ball. They're already pretty much topped up. So now if they get you know a week off, they can go a little bit harder in that week off and make some progress. Or if they have two weeks off, or if they get a little bit of an extended break. Whereas what a lot of the players that I've been working with would find is that they train maybe very hard if they had an off-season period. 
probably training so hard that it was actually affecting their golf practice and play because they'd be maybe stiff and sore. Uh, then when tournaments started up, they have three weeks on the road. It's like, oh man, I, I, I'm not playing well. I need to practice, you know, my irons more or whatever. The training drops off and then you're just gradually getting a little bit weaker and less powerful as the season goes on. And then they might try to train and it's like, oh man, my, my legs got so sore from, you know, my lunges or whatever yesterday. I can't do that. I can't, I can't train and play because I get so sore. Whereas if you just keep tipping away nice and consistently with short, moderate sessions, trying to move the bar as quickly as possible with a fairly heavy weight, but not maximal and stopping the set quite a few reps shy of failure, still a really good stimulus for strength and power keeps those levels high, no real soreness, no real fatigue. So you can still do your speed training and your golf practice on your tournament weeks without any issue. Um, hopefully we'll keep kind of aches and pains at bay because your body's in very good condition and your energy levels are high, like coming towards the end of tournament weeks or spells on the road. Uh, and it means that then when you come into like an off season period or a break period, you're ready to start training, you know, up a gear as soon as that starts. Whereas if you have a six week period off and you haven't been training, the first three or four of them, you're just trying to get back into training. And then you have one or two to try and make progress and then you're back out, you know? That's good insight right there. I appreciate that. It's unique when you get to work, the higher the higher level of player you work with, it seems like you get to understand more and more of the depth of issues that come with someone specializing in something. Whereas people obviously on the other end of the rung have the issue with not having specialized in anything. So they have similar issues sometimes, but also uh, can be vastly different. Um, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. The final question we ask every guest is if you go back to yourself, a junior golfer, tell yourself one thing, what would it be? And in your case, I'd, I'd ask that one, if you just go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? And two, as a trainer, if you could tell a junior golfer one thing, what would that be? Like as the junior golfer, I think it would just be have a bit more patience. Like everybody, you know, goes through massive periods of frustration when they're playing golf. If you're working on the right things, you gradually will see progress. Most of us don't have that foresight when we're teenagers, which is probably why there's lots of grumpy teenagers, you know, on, on the golf course throwing uh, hissy fits. But on the flip side, like, would I ever have been good enough to play golf professionally? Almost certainly not, because so, so few people are. And most people who do get better way more quickly than I did. And I'm really happy what I'm what I'm doing now. Like, I'm, I'm definitely better at what I'm doing now than I would have been at playing golf. That's for sure. And then, honestly, telling telling a junior golfer, like, anyone that's a junior golfer, I would, like, encourage them to have as much fun as possible trying to get their ball speed as high as possible like get get a get a cheap get a cheap radar the prgr one is awesome and like learn how to swing really really fast like there, there's going to be like kids who start trying to smash it when they're in their like early golf days what's going to be amazing is like there's going to be tons of them that are up probably in like the 120s without ever having done any like supplemental strength training or anything like that, because some kids are just, you know, you see people who are naturally gifted with, you know, high fast twitch fiber ratios and, you know, they might've 
really nice limb proportions and they obviously have great mechanics like kids like that who are practicing smashing it like that play so much there's going to be guys that are they're going to be getting up in the 120s really easily before they even get you know like their strength from you know developing into an adult or whatever so that would be my my advice for junior golfers like practice and develop the ability to swing really really fast i think the other things are are much easier to rein in and develop but if speed isn't developed to a high enough level to compete it makes it really hard i know you can like tom kim is a good example but he's basically a unicorn like there's a reason why we don't see many of him like what's actually interesting i've been keeping an eye on it if you look on the pga tour website uh, and go to the ball speed rankings for this season obviously we're in like the fall swing so a lot of the you know like uh corn ferry players who graduated from last year are playing in all these events and if you look at the ball speed rankings like it's tons of guys who have come up you know maybe younger guys that have come up through corn ferry and it's like man it's like some guys who i'm not even familiar with i don't know what they look like i've seen their names from results and stuff and you're like i never knew that guy was so fast because when they're playing on corn ferry you don't have their stats you just know they're really good at golf and then you're like man this guy's like 184 185 186 you're like it's crazy so i think in time there's just going to be so many really fast really good players that if you're not really fast it's you're going to need to be exceptional at other things to compete you know it will just make it really hard it's kind of like the steph curry effect where you know he starts shooting uh threes and fast break etc and i mean it's statistically a good shot when he does it and better than you know uh, mid-range shots, you know, it's layups or yeah. three-pointers, and then you end up with guys like Victor Wembanyama. I don't know, or Wembanyama. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I don't know if you've seen him. He's a seven-foot-two French player that can handle the ball, take it down the court, shoot threes. Is like, uh, is a is a complete unicorn, even better than Chet Holmgren. If you're familiar with Chet Holmgren, this guy has even more more skill. It looks like, at least from the eyeballing, than him. So. Uh, it's it's one of those effects I think we'll see play out over a course of years as uh, you're mentioning. We appreciate you taking the time. As far as we found you on social media, I know a lot of people follow you there, but if people haven't heard of you, where can they find you on social media? Where can they find you as far as your app goes to be able to download the Fit for Golf workout app? And then if they have any questions for you, what should they do? Yeah, so Twitter um, and Instagram are my two social media profiles. The handle is the same. It's at fit underscore four for underscore golf. My website is fitforgolf.blog. And that's where people can ask questions through the submit a question page and sign up to the app. If you want to use the app, you need to uh, register through the website first. And then you can uh, sign in when you download it. That's basically where you create your account. Thanks for joining us today. Please do us a big favor and like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so we can help others learn how to play better tournament golf. You can find us online at thetournamentcode.com, on Instagram at thetournamentcode, and on Twitter at tournamentcode. As always, Feel free to reach out to us at those places or email us at daniel at thetournamentcode.com and cooper at thetournamentcode.com. We hope you join us as we continue to dive deeper in what it takes to play elite tournament golf.